0: Good morning, everybody. So if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7, and uh, we're going to start a little bit before that in verse 1. Uh, and while you do that, I just wanted to remind you today that, that just, like, uh, just like every other day, God is gracious. And uh, as Monday, you know, as I was going through this week, as Monday marked the 499th year since the Protestant Reformation began... Uh, I was just reminded of some, some things about God's faithfulness that I, that I don't always consider, some things that, that are not always on the forefront of my mind that probably should be. Uh, I'm just reminded of his faithfulness in so many ways that, that he used ordinary people like, like Martin Luther and like many others uh, within, the, within the Reformation to uh, risk their lives, to recover a gospel, that have been hidden beneath massive amounts of years and years and years of superstition and false teaching and uh, tradition, and to bring that back into into biblical truth, and also to proclaim, uh, for these people to to proclaim a true gospel that we continue to preach here at Sulphur Community Church, and I pray that we would continue to preach, uh, that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I pray that that would always be what, what we stand behind and who we, who we are as a church. And also that, uh, that these Reformers were able to provide Scripture freely and availably in the language of the people, of the common people, to where people could understand Scripture for themselves and actually read Scripture for themselves, and that that was the emphasis. And so... Uh, so the, I guess the big focus on this that I, that I, that I saw this week and that you know, I was just so thankful for was that though man continues to pervert the gospel and to steer things in other ways uh, for themselves and to, and to lead others astray, God is faithful to persevere his word and his church. And he is continuing to do that until he comes back for us. And so uh, in the midst of celebrating and seeking all of this truth and, and in understanding these, these truths, and uh, wanting to conform to christ we get to see more and more of christ's character and who he really is uh, as we explore in john chapter 7 today and as we kind of look through through what jesus is saying through the claims that he makes and so to get a little bit of a bearing on on where we are today on where we're going to be going Uh, We're going to, I'm going to just kind of briefly go through some of the things that we've, that we've been talking about in the past. If you haven't been with us Uh, in chapter five, Jesus heals a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And I started there because uh, we're going to see that come up today. We're going to see that uh, in the passage today. He heals this man and uh, it's during the time of the feast of the Jews. And so he goes up to this man and he asks this uh, ridiculous question, right? Do you want to be healed? And then he says, take up your bed and walk. But this was on the Sabbath, and that's going to be important for today. Uh, then in chapter 6, uh, he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so there's a group of about 5,000 men, and we said it estimated about eighteen to 20,000 uh, with the women and children who were following him because of the signs that he had done. Uh, strictly because of, of what he was doing for them. And so Jesus fed these people with five tiny loaves and two small fish uh, miraculously. And so uh, they try to take him by force immediately because he had performed this miracle and because they had gotten their fill, so they try to take him by force and make him king. And so Jesus retreats to the mountain by himself instead because he doesn't want to, he, it's not his time. He, it's not his time to go yet. And so he retreats to the mountain, and then the, so the disciples start to head across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And so the crowd, meanwhile, is on the other side. And uh, so the storm comes up, and these rough winds and waves come up, which was typical for the, for the Sea of Galilee at the time. And then Jesus, uh, they see Jesus walking on the water, the disciples do. And so they, they invite him, they, they're afraid at first, and then he, he proclaims himself to them. And so they invite him in, and then immediately they're on the other side, of the sea. And so the crowds on the other side of the sea uh, as David was preaching about a few weeks ago they you know it's the day has passed and so since they've been fed so now they're hungry again right? And so they he tell, <laughs> so they start looking for Jesus and they, and they find him on the other side of the sea and so they go to Jesus immediately looking for their fill and so he tells them that he says you're seeking me because you got your fill not because not because of who I am or who I say that I am. But because because you just want to be fed again, basically, and so Jesus starts this dialogue uh, to where he's proclaiming that they can't even see that he is the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven, that people would eat this bread and would never die. So when so the people got to see the people see that uh, manna was provided for their for their ancestors. And they see that, that God's provision was that. And Jesus says, look, I am the greater bread. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread, your, your ancestors, they, they ate the bread and then they died. But I am the bread of life. And so then he tells them, uh, then, he, then he says some really crazy stuff, right? Like Blake was talking about last week. Uh, he tells them they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And that, I mean, that is a very polarizing and just kind of like Blake was saying, you know, we, a lot of us may have checked out at that point. And so he tells them this, and, and many of his followers walk away from him, and they no longer follow him. And so his disciples, by the grace of God only, actually respond differently to that. And they see, they see like, look, Lord, where else are we going to go? We, you have the words of eternal life. Where, where are we going to go? And so... Uh, these two responses were made at the end of chapter 6. And so then, you know, we go into chapter 7. And so today, as we look at chapter 7, we're going to see a a few different things. And this is kind of how I outlined it. Um, We're going to see Jesus, how he's on the Father's timetable. We're going to see how he speaks from the Father's authority. And then how he does the Father's work. And so we're going to see those things kind of as we, as we walk through this passage today. And so let's start in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And so after this happened in chapter 6, all this stuff we just talked about, Jesus goes back to Galilee, and he spends, uh, he spends his time the way that he did most of his ministry. You know, when we're, when we're talking about chapter 6, we're talking about a period of a few days. We're not talking about a very long time. Most of Jesus' ministry was actually spent engaging with and pouring into his disciples. And so that was was what he was doing. That was his primary focus. And so uh, the Jews were probably looking to kill him because of the things that he had claimed. So he was equating himself with God, among many other things that he had said. Uh, you know, that being the bread of life and, and quite a few things. So the Jews are, are definitely looking to kill him at this point based on, based on who he says he is. And so also they're probably still angry with him for healing this man on the Sabbath. These are some, uh, some rules and regulations that they had created, some things that they had said, you know, this is, this is what we want to do so that we can be uh, lifted up and so that, we can, uh, you know, so that we can follow more rules than the other people, uh, legalism is what we call it. And so they're probably still angry with him for that. And so now we get to this point where it's the Feast of Booths. And so when Jesus was with the crowd in chapter 6, it was the Passover, right? And so now that was in April. And so now we're in October at the start of this, uh, or near near the month of October at the start of this. So six months have passed in this first verse of Scripture. And so... If you remember when we went through uh, just, just a little bit of background on the Feast of Booths, I actually, was, uh, I actually got the opportunity to preach the last time we, were, we actually brought this up about the Feast of Booths. And it was in Nehemiah chapter 8. So in Nehemiah 8, Ezra uh, reads the law to the people for the first time since they had come back to Jerusalem. And so uh, immediately when the people hear the law, they're convicted by what they hear because they're not doing a lot of the things that that the law had required and that the law had said. And so so the people wanted to... uh, Go back and do some of the some of the things that they had done before, and practice some of the things to to commemorate, uh, you know, God doing amazing things in their ancestors with their ancestors. And so the Feast of Booths was one of these things. So they re-implemented that, and so people would celebrate. The people of uh, of Israel would celebrate for seven days. And what they would do is they would they would gather up sticks and they would gather up leaves and things like that, and they would make temporary shelters. And so they would they would live in these shelters, these, these temporary shelters for like seven days. And they would celebrate. Basically, the entire thing was to remember the people of Israel in their journey away from Egypt. How, and to remember God's deliverance of his people and to commemorate that. And so, uh, with the Feast of Booths, we're going to see this come into play today. All Jewish males were actually required to, to go to Jerusalem for this, or the, the outskirts of the city. And so... Uh, That's going to come into play in just a little bit. And so Jesus' brothers are trying to get him to go, right? They're trying to get him to go up with them publicly. So it says in verse 2, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourselves to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus' brothers wanted him to go publicly to the feast, right? Uh, his brothers were James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. So two of those you hear are actually books of the Bible. And so these guys are going to come to know uh, and, and to recognize who Jesus is later on. But right now, they, they do not believe in him. They don't, they don't believe that he is the one that he says that he is. Okay, so so they're kind of in the same situation as many of Jesus' followers were in chapter 6, right? So they saw the miracles that he performed. They saw the things that he did on a daily basis, but they didn't believe in the person of Jesus. They didn't believe that he was who he said he was. And so like everyone else, they probably expected the king uh, that they heard of for so long in their history to come and to take on political rule, right? They expected him to, to wipe out the Roman, uh, the Roman rule and what, what was going on there at the time, and so when they see their brother, Jesus, they're like, there's no way. Like, this is not, this is not the way that, we, that we've envisioned that. This is not the way that we've seen that happen. So they say, look, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, then why, then why are you here in Galilee? Like, what are you, what are you doing here in, in, these, in this small place, in, in, you know, on the outside of the cultural center, which is Jerusalem? Like, if you, if you really are who you say you are, and if you're really doing these things, these works of God then go up to Jerusalem go to the cultural center go to the place where where people are recognized for that type of thing and that's where a king should be so like if you're really the king if you're the one then then go to Jerusalem so in their unbelief in their unbelief of who Jesus was they wanted him to go to to Judea or to Jerusalem so that he could be evaluated so that they could see if he was the king or not like they don't want him to reveal himself to the world like don't don't get the wrong picture of this. Like they, they don't want him to go up there so that so that people can see him in all of his glory. They this is this is totally selfish. They want to see if the Jewish rulers, if if the people who they thought really mattered would it would validate him, would would say, okay, this is this is Jesus and and this is because they can get behind that like like if if the Jewish rulers say that it's good that he's that he's the one that he says he is then okay then we can we can get behind that but for right now we don't we don't believe who Jesus is and so also uh i don't know i was just thinking through this like being the brother of a miracle worker is pretty cool right and so like maybe they maybe they get some notoriety or something for going up uh you know, some type of personal gain out of the situation for going up with Jesus. You know, they're, they're in the party with Jesus. They're, they're with the people that are, you know, that are, that are walking in with Jesus to this feast. And so some popularity may be able to come out of that. And so uh, in verse 6, we're going to go on with the text. Jesus said to them, "'My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil.'" you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. So uh, as I begin to read through John more and more and through the other gospels and through the entire Bible, really like you start to see Jesus, uh, he's not this like fluffy, you know, this fluff guy that just throws out these fluff sayings all the time. Like he's, Jesus is cutting to the bone here. Like this is, this is a serious rebuke of his brothers. He says, Jesus says, since you're of the world, since you're just like all of these people who are trying to persecute me, you're not concerned a bit with God's timetable. You're not concerned with, with what's, what's going on there. Uh, you don't even understand his will or his purpose. But God has sent me, Jesus is talking about himself, he's saying God has sent me for a purpose, not to be fulfilled at this time, but when the time is right. And so you better believe that I know when the time is right to go to Jerusalem, and it's not now. So... He says Jesus is like, they hate me, and they're going to try to kill me. But like Jesus says about his life in John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. The command, this command I received from my Father. And so Jesus is in control of this situation. He's working on the, he's working on the Father's timetable, not on his brother's. So the world hates him because he testifies about it, that his works, that its works are evil. That's what it says, right? So he confronts people of their sin. Like Jesus is, (laughs) Jesus is very polarizing like we see in, like we see in chapter six. Even if they're the leaders and the rest of the people are scared of them, he doesn't, he has authority from the father and he's not scared to confront them about that. So Jesus, just as we saw last week, he disrupts things. He creates friction. Like He calls out slander and evil and self-love and hypocrisy. And so his claims and teachings are really polarizing. Like, like you're going to believe one thing or another. People either place their faith in him or they're extremely bothered by him. And, you know, a lot of times it leads to people wanting to kill him. But he says, they can't hate you, talking to his brothers. He says, because you're just like them. You act like them. You believe the same things about me that they believe. Like, you love the passions of your flesh. And so believers, uh, I guess I was thinking kind of in a different perspective when I was, when I was thinking about this. Uh, this is kind of a tough one for me and, and something for maybe for us to evaluate. Maybe this will help you out in the way that it helped me. Uh, but we as believers, like if you consider yourself a believer in this room, we're set apart, and uh, when we follow Christ, the world... It's the, the gospel says that the world is going to hate us, right? And so uh, in John fifteen eighteen through 21, we'll read that really quickly. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So I guess that was something uh, just for reflection this week. Like, do I, do, am I, a lot of times I consider myself kind of timid in my responses. Like, sometimes I don't want to approach things directly because it might offend someone or it might make someone uh, angry with the situations that, that they're in. But a lot of times we're called to, to approach situations with truth. And I mean, I'm not talking about being a jerk, but, <laughs> I mean, obviously we can, we can approach things with uh, sincerity and with kindness. But at the same time, uh, you know, do we, do we look at things do we Do we back away from things just because they oppose the the common opinion of the world like that 's just something that that I kind of had to think through this week as i was as I was going through this, and so uh going on with verse eight, it says, "You go up to the feast i 'm not going up to the feast for my time is not yet fully come, so his time's not here, and they they only want him to go for their own benefit, but it 's not his time yet Jesus is not going to go until it 's his time and so in verse nine it says after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking at, for him at the feast and saying, where is he? So uh, it's believed that uh, if you, if you want to do some extra study in, uh, in Luke 9, 51 through 56, uh, it, it's believed that that took place at this time and that Jesus actually went, uh, went through Samaria when he went back to Jerusalem. And so that was one of the main purposes of that was so he could do that in secret, so that he could go uh, without a big group of people and so that people wouldn't recognize him on the way over there, so that he could, so that he could go to the feast uh, unrecognized, basically, because his time wasn't here yet. So the Jews knew that he was going to be there because all men were required, required to attend, Right. And so Jesus stayed in secret so that they couldn't find him because the time wasn't right. And so in verse 12, it says, And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So the people make two different distinctions here, right? They they make two different claims as to who he is. And both of them are wrong, right? Both of them are completely wrong claims. And so Jesus, you know, he would be a good man, except for the fact that he claimed that he was God. Like, a good man only doesn't claim that he's God. Like, Jesus, just like we said, uh, and we've quoted from C.S. Lewis quite a few times, Jesus would either have to be a lunatic, he would have to be crazy, or he's the person that he says that he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, there's no in between. He can't just be a good man, and he definitely wasn't leading the people astray. They said, "No, he's leading the people astray." There's no way he was about to communicate truth here that we're going to see in the next couple of sentences, like nobody had ever seen before. Nobody had ever heard truth in the way that he was about to that he was about to lay it down for them. So, but either way, they won't say anything until the until the Jewish officials make their decision, right? because they're scared of the Jewish officials. They want to wait until they make their, their claim as to who Jesus is, and then they can fall under that, just like his brothers, basically. And so next we're going to see Jesus' uh, encounter with these people and, and how, he's, how he's going to approach them in the temple. And so if we look at verse 14, it says, "...about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching." The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, "How is it that this man has learning when he 's never studied?" So now, now you're about halfway through the feast, right? So you 'd be about in the middle of the week that they celebrate. They celebrate for seven days. And so Jesus goes up into the temple and he starts to teach at this time, and that's typically what, what a rabbi would do. You know they would wait, uh, they would wait, and then they would go up into the temple to be able to teach uh, their, their followers and so because he was, I, I was wondering like, okay, Jesus, I was wondering as I was going through this, like, okay, they Jesus says that he's, he's going up in secret and he doesn't want to be, uh, he doesn't want to be out in the spotlight and he doesn't want people to know that he's there. But then he goes up and teaches like how in the world did he not get, get taken, you know, at that point, because he's, he's revealing himself and he's showing himself to everybody. But, uh, just from some commentaries that I was reading and stuff like that, um, uh, said so basically he was admired by a lot of the people in the crowd. Like people still, even though maybe they didn't believe in him, they liked the things that he was saying. Like he was, you know, he he was, you know, it was it was easy to hear him sometimes and so they people admired him in the crowd. And so the Jews wouldn't have been able to take him without causing an uproar. And so they basically wanted to take him in private before that before they could get before he could get to where he was teaching. So now that he's teaching, they don't want to cause this big scene and go in there and try to take Jesus. And so and so he starts teaching and and the people are absolutely amazed at at what he's teaching. So he's not like he's not like any of the other rabbis who've studied and who've devoted their lives to being teachers. Like, he's not even teaching on that level. He's teaching on a level higher than that. So he didn't go to seminary, and he didn't get the official documentation to qualify him, like we would say today. So how does he know so much? Like, he, we, can't, we can't say anything about what he says being untruthful, because it's truthful. It's completely truthful. Like, he's, he's speaking completely out of truth. So they have to challenge the source, of what, he's, of what he's talking about. Like, where did he get this learning? Like, where he didn't even go to school. How does he know this stuff? So Jesus tells him very directly in verse 16, he says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're correct in saying that it's not from any school or formal teaching because it's directly from God. My teaching is from God. And so he says this later in John 2 also, Uh, John chapter 12, uh, verse 44, it says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So, in saying this, he's not saying that he's not only saying that his teaching is from God, like, like he's saying, yes, my teaching is from God, but also he's implying that their teaching is not from God. Because he says, he, he's, he's saying basically like you learn, uh, like I learned this week that the rabbis, uh, you know, the people, in the, the people in the temple who would go and teach that they had a bad habit of going in and quoting other renowned rabbis, like like doesn't that sound like a, a lot of what <laughs> sometimes what people do today, right? So they go in and they quote other rabbis that were teaching in order to, to authenticate themselves. So like if they could, if they could say something about this rabbi and then this rabbi could say something about them, then they're authenticating themselves. So after a while, they wouldn't even be quoting. The, so, they, so after a while, they'd be quoting one another's teachings and, and everything that they're quoting is false. So like they're, they're quoting false things, but just because they're quoting one another, it's, uh, they're authenticating themselves. So it's not about God's truth through the scriptures anymore, but more about building up their reputation as a rabbi. And so others may see you. And so it's so easy to fall into that trap today and I, I pray that we would, as a people, at Sulphur Community Church, would look at everything through the eyes of Scripture. Like we we always talk about that, but I, I believe I can speak for David and Blake when I say that we we do lots of digging and searching and studying for each passage before before we lead you guys each week. Um, you know, our preaching schedules also tend to uh, to go through books of the Bible or through large sections of Scripture, so that so that we can practice uh, exegesis or drawing our conclusions based on what the Bible actually says and not trying to take a little small piece of Scripture and put our agenda or our ideas into it. But, uh, you know, we we try not to preach falsehood or to lead you astray, but we're also humans. And we hope that in everything that we do and everything that we preach uh, and everything that goes on here at Sulfur community Church that you would challenge that on the basis of Scripture and that you would continue to, to look at us and, and to evaluate based on what Scripture says. Because that is the ultimate, uh, that's the teaching from God that we have. That's the ultimate source of truth and of authority. And so, uh, in verse 17, he says, th- this is where he kind of brings it together, I think, and this is kind of uh, one of the main focuses of, of this entire text. It says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is for, from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So he says, what I'm, what I'm speaking to you is true and it's from God. And he said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he's going to know whether that teaching is from God. He, he'll be able to discern that on his own. And so we're going to jump down to the last part of the section that we read today really quick. Jesus said in verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge, judge with right judgment. So that's what we're trying to communicate here, right, throughout the passage. He's trying not to get us to look at what things look like from the exterior but to probe deeper and to and to see what they are for, for truth, to see to see the truth and to see and to understand the truth. And so the Jewish authorities, they were all about the exterior, right? They were trying to pretend that they were keeping the law and putting themselves in place of regard so that so that people could see them. They were looking you know, they would, when they would go and fast, they would look pitiful so that people could see what the things that they were doing and, and so that everybody could see the sacrifices they were, make, they were making and they were all about the show. These people were all about the show. And so Jesus is saying here, when he says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he's saying, just humble yourselves before the word of God, where God has revealed his will. He's revealed his will through, his word of, through the word. And you will undoubtedly see the truth if you can humble yourselves before this word, so just like we've been saying, this understanding of truth, uh, just like we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, this understanding of truth and this this true knowledge and uh, you know our wills being being put with god 's will and our will be, and God uh, you know taking over our lives and, and allowing us to be able to see his will that that only comes through regeneration. That only comes through God taking part in that. And so it's not a head knowledge theme. It's deeper. It's, not, it's deeper than head knowledge. It goes into our will. So when God turns our hearts of stone into flesh, our knowledge comes from His revealed will. When He draws us to Himself and when He reveals Himself to us in a way that we cannot do on our own. So there's no way that we can do this on our own. There's no way that that we can understand and, and try to be a part of God's will apart from Him coming in and doing that on our behalf. So when He gives us His Spirit to teach us His will that's revealed through His Word, in John 14, uh, 26, He talks about that. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and will bring, you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So it's God's doing. It's God's doing. He is the one that aligns our hearts with his, aligns our will with his. Man can't do this on his own. And apart from God, we cannot understand his will. We naturally want to pursue ourselves. There's nothing in in us, there's nothing in us that wants to pursue God. So we need the word and the spirit, just like we were talking about last week. We need him to interrupt us where we are. We need him to, to take to take us from the place that we are right now where we pursue ourselves and to bring us into his will and to show us his will through his word. Or we do what the beginning of verse 18 says. Verse 18 says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So these people rejected the Son of God they rejected his teaching truth right in front of them because they're so full of themselves and seeking their own glory. And so he says the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the, the glory of him who sent him is true. And so this is the way that we know that Christ is truthful. And so verse 19, it says, has, Moses, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So Jesus is carrying on. He's going to the heart of the matter here. He's going to the real issue. And like we said before, uh, these people have used the the law incorrectly. So like uh, they're trying to justify the law with, with Moses. And he says the law was used as a means of trying to obtain salvation by obeying its commands. But when the purpose of the law, the purpose of the law was completely to reveal sin. It wasn't to... Wasn't to obey, it wasn't to obtain salvation by obeying commands it was to it was it was to reveal sin completely and it was used to point to a need of a deliverer who is jesus christ and so uh, just like we've we've been saying in Romans chapter three uh, if we go to verse nineteen through twenty it says Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sins. So Jesus says, why do you seek to kill me? I'm the one that delivers from the law. It's like, you can't even see this on your own. You take pride in saying that you're a descendant of Moses, that you're that you're trying to keep his law, but the entire purpose of this law is to reveal sin. So I'm the one who will fulfill the law, the law perfectly. Jesus says, I am the one who's going to reveal and fulfill this law perfectly and deliver my people from the curse of the law. And you, you can't even see this. So why do you want to kill me? If this is the case, why do you want to kill me? And so at this point, when he's referring to them wanting to kill him, he goes back to what, uh, to what happened in chapter 5. And so we're going to see how Jesus does the, the Father's work now. Uh, so in chapter 5, Jesus, just like we were talking about at the beginning, Jesus heals this invalid at the pool of uh, Bethesda when he was attending the Feast of the Jews. So the, Jew, so the Jewish officials, they find out that, uh, that he had done this on the Sabbath, and that, that was a rule that they had created in order to just basically be legalist, to try to get closer to God by doing extra things, uh, to, try to, to try to just do extra things in order to, come, to get closer to God. So this is the crowd responding to Jesus' question about killing him. In verse 20, it says, The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So Jesus is, uh, is refuting their claims here. He says, he says, so let me get this straight. So Moses gives you circumcision, but it's, it wasn't really Moses. It, it wasn't really from him. It was from the fathers, uh, from Abraham and Uh, as a ceremonial cleansing. So this this circumcision, it's a ceremonial thing. It's a ceremonial cleansing. It's part of the covenant of Israel, right? And so now when we look at this, children are born every day, right? So children in, in Israel are born every day. And so circumcision has to be performed on the eighth day after these children are born. And so And so without exception, that's got to happen. So that means some of these children have to be being circumcised on the Sabbath. Like there's no way to get around that. So you're telling me it's okay for you to practice ceremonial cleansing of one part of the body on the Sabbath, but that it's not okay for me to heal an entire man's body? That's what Jesus is asking them. It's like you're so focused on the surface, on what people think of you, on what people want to see from you that, you that you can't see the truth. You can't see that this man was healed. The miracle that happened through, through Jesus coming to this man and, and healing him. And so it's, you missed the boat. It is completely acceptable to, to do good things on the Sabbath, to do good on the Sabbath. And so do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And that's kind of where we're going to land today. It's just I encourage you to just look at the scriptures to see all of it that that it's exclaiming about Jesus Christ. To to abandon the things that you've heard from others concerning Him, from the the other things that you've that you maybe hear from from people around here, and from you know with everything going on in the world today. Um, abandon those things that you've heard concerning Him and make a right judgment based on who He really is from the Word of God. Look through the Word of God. Look at the Scriptures and see who Christ really is before you make a judgment on Him. And lots of people want to tell you things that are not true. Things, uh, things about Jesus that, that are absolutely not true, that when you look at it through, through the eyes of Scripture that you can completely refute and push out. And so... When your will aligns with God's will, I just want to, the, the big theme of this today is that when when our wills, when our wills align with God's will, when we align with who, with who He wants us to be and with what our purpose is, you're going to see that everything, you're going to see everything that Jesus claims to be, He really is. And, and He is who He claims to be. And so, I guess with that, I had, I had a few questions, a few applications, I guess, for myself this week. And maybe, maybe this will help you guys as well. Maybe this will be something that, uh, that we can have some conversation and some dialogue about. So uh, number one application question, I guess. When, when we speak about Jesus, are we, are we using him as a means to obtain something for ourselves like Christ Brothers? Like are we using him in order to, to be the means of gaining something else? Are we, are we seeking to praise his name with our actions? Do we have other selfish motives in mind? Like what's, what's going on when we're, when we're proclaiming the name of Christ? Are we, are we doing it in order to gain something else or is he the end? Is he the focus? And so that's one question I had. Number two was, are we, are we humbly submitting ourselves? And are we asking the Father that his will be done in our lives? Are we trying to align our will with his or are we trying to do our own thing? Like, does our prayer life sound more like, does our prayer life sound like, okay, do we, okay God, we want, I want you to, to align me with your will. I want you to, to make me to want the things that you want and, and to make my heart desire the things that you desire. Or does it sound more like a, like a Christmas list or, or a granting of wishes? Like, God I, God, I really want you to do this. I really want you to do this. Is it, is it selfish or is it trying to align with God's will? And another one, uh, you know, thinking about the Jews and, and the things that they were, they were doing. Uh, what types of legalism do we practice within our church body? Like what, what are we doing? Do we really trust that he's the one that he says that he is? Like do, we, do our thoughts, our speech, and our actions, do they say otherwise or do they say that, that he is the one that he says who he is? What types of things are we trying to do in order to obtain salvation still? Even though we talk about this weekly, what things are we doing in our lives, either subconsciously or um, you know, out in the open, that are saying, Christ, your, your blood and, and the things that you have done for me on my behalf and your salvation is not enough, that I have to do this on my own in order to obtain salvation. Are there, are there things like that that we're still struggling with? And then, what lies are we believing? What things do we believe that keep us from trusting in the fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Like what what lies do we do we believe on a weekly basis? What things do people tell us that we believe that we have to obtain salvation? So, uh, just kind of as we close today, I, I just want to I just want to encourage you that that Christ is. He is the assured hope that we need. He is the one that when we fall short, His grace is sufficient for us. And He is the source of life, and all truth is found in Him. And that when we judge with right judgment, when we look in the Scriptures and we see who He is, we see the person and the character of Christ that we can't deny that He is truthful, and that He is the one who has brought salvation to us. He's the one who... Uh, as we're going to read about in John in the next years, I guess. It's going to take us a little while to get there. But he's the one that makes that, that that goes to the cross on our behalf and takes on the wrath of sin so that he can save us from our sins and so that he can bring us into right right relationship with God. And so I pray that we would continue to see him rightly and to understand him for who he is. And uh, could you just pray with me, please?